Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This show is brought to you by C5 Plus CCI Global Summit. It's going to be in Atlanta uh, this year. It's a huge event. It's September 28th to September 30th, and there's a lot of great events and, and investing and learning and networking going on. But to give you an idea, a couple of the speakers, David Robinson who is involved in real estate, uh, the, the basketball star, right? Chris Voss, <laughs> you, you gotta be there for him. And least, least, and maybe, least and last, Michael Bull, I'll be speaking there as well. So learn more at c5summit.realestate. Well, we have a great show for you today. We're gonna talk about the multifamily market. And I think it's been uh, rather interesting because multifamily certainly had a good run could run up on rental, rental rates. There was just really astronomical rate rent increases uh, over the last many years. But things are starting to level off. We also have uh, some issues with higher interest rates, right? And uh, some of those uh, loans uh, may be coming due that uh, are higher rates than, than uh, investors planned. So what's going on in the market? What should we expect for rental rate and growth uh, moving forward? What should we think about for new supply, cap rates? What's going on? Let's find out. Please welcome my guest. It's Carl Whitaker. He's Director of Research and Analysis with RealPage. Carl, good to see you. Yeah, likewise. It's been a while. It's always good to always good to join you on the show here. Oh, thank you. And, uh, you know, when you look at the U.S. overall, uh, are things kind of cooling off? We had such great rent growth in occupancy and multifamily. Uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's really a matter of perspective, and what I mean by that is just it, it. It matters what your horizon is. So when you look at year-over-year stats or year-ending stats, uh, things are certainly cooling down. But when you look at a year-to-date perspective, things maybe don't look as bad as what the year-over-year stats show. And and I'll just highlight one data point here. For example, you look at year-over-year occupancy change for the country. Occupancy rates are down about 130 basis points from August 22 to August 23. However, when you look year to date, uh, occupancy rates are only down 20 to 30 basis points. So there's really this uh, this trend where we're seeing that year to date stats are more or less stabilizing, even though the year over year stats show that the market has indeed softened. Yeah. And what about uh, rental rates? Yeah, rental rates follow that same trend year over year. Uh, rent growth is about 0.3%. However, just based on the year-over-year calculation, there's a good chance that by September, you're going to see a negative in front of that year-over-year change figure. And that'll be, of course, the first negative we've seen since the 2020 pandemic era. Um, however, when you look at a year-to-date stat, uh, rents are indeed up from June, uh, from January to August, that is. So again, I think it's just a matter of perspective here. And uh, you know, the, the market stories may differ, of course, but the national number shows that the, the, the market is indeed softening, um, but, though maybe stabilizing in many ways. Interesting. So if uh, we could potentially have negative rent growth, uh, you said by when? By September, most likely. By September. So uh, we're, we're, we're there, right? <laughs> so yeah. when, when these numbers are reported, right? So... Um, is this the bottom? Uh, should we expect more issues there? Yeah, but, 
Yeah, I'm glad you've mentioned that too, because I do think that September, maybe October ends up being the bottom. And again, just kind of based on how the year-over-year calculation works, we saw in fourth quarter 2022, larger than normal rent cuts for that part of the year. Now, rent cuts in fourth quarter aren't atypical. You know, the uh, the housing market overall just slows down around the holiday period. So uh, the outsized cuts that we saw in fourth quarter of last year, in addition to slower than average rent growth year to date in 2023, still growing, just slower than average, that together shows that the market's probably right about at its bottom on a year-over-year basis. Uh, and, and again, I think the September data or the October data will probably show that. Okay. And Carl, does anything jump out to you in your research and, and numbers related to central business district versus suburban or, or class, different classes performance? Yeah, the urban suburban story is one we've been highlighting here quite a bit lately. Um, Generally speaking, most urban cores across the country are seeing slower performance. They're seeing larger year over year uh, rent cuts than suburban areas. And then even within the suburban areas, there's kind of becoming this tale of two cities or this tale of two suburbs. And what I mean by that is if you look at the suburban areas that are getting a lot of Uh, rent growth today, those are generally the parts of the market that contain more workforce housing. It's going to be the areas that, simply put, just don't have as much new construction. And conversely, I'm going to pick on Dallas just because I'm based in the DFW area. You look at the submarkets in Collin County and Denton County and Rockwall County, the fastest growing parts of DFW, the demand story there is still really strong. It's just that the supply pipeline is outpacing absorption. Conversely, when you look at some of the more workforce-oriented housing areas, Mesquite, Garland, Southeast Dallas, uh, HEB, et cetera, those are the parts of the market that are still seeing two, three, 4% rent growth. So I think it's really a pretty simple story. You've got decent demand in the market. It's just parts parts of markets are seeing supply outpace absorption, and we expect that to continue through 2024. And that sounds like a more of a class A story, is it? And what, what do you see for differences with uh, other classes of properties? Yeah, it's generally a class A story. One thing that's been a little bit perplexing here in recent months has been that, uh, particularly in some of these fastest growing Sunbelt markets, the Jacksonvilles, the Austins, the Raleigh-Durhams of the world, we've actually seen class B rent growth slow down more sharply than class A. We don't think that that will continue. We actually think that the class B segment is in a really good spot for the long haul. Uh, You look at just the average rental rate difference between your your typical class A property and your typical class B property. And as this new supply is being added to the uh, the A pipeline, just simply by nature of what it costs to build today, I do think that the class B sector will recover more quickly. I think that really, if anything, the class A segment is probably at the nearest... um, Uh, is going to see some slightly higher near-term risk due simply to the construction pipeline. So I would say that right now, Class B is the softest, but by the end of 2024, Class B is most likely to lead. Class A, probably in that middle tranche. And then Class C really just kind of depends on the market. You know, there's some more economic-oriented challenges in that sector of the, the, uh, the, the housing market. And we're talking with Carl Whitaker with the real page about the multifamily market and, and Carl the the build to rent story uh, you know a lot of the developers now are building fairly large neighborhoods of uh, homes rental homes and sometimes townhomes and they're building them for rent are you seeing that impacting uh, the apartment market at all 
I think to some degree it is. Um, but when you look at the build to rent sector, it's really interesting because just the footprint at which these uh, these properties have to be built means that they're generally in outer lying suburban, if not even exurban areas. Uh, you know, again, I'll pick on DFW just being based here. But when you see the build to rent sector, you're seeing it happen places like Anna, Farmersville, you know, just the name Farmersville alone tells you how exurban <laughs> this part of the market is. Um, but the build to rent sector, generally speaking, what we see is that that sector of the housing market is more complementary to the conventional market rate sector. In other words, we don't necessarily see the build to rent sector quote unquote, poaching demand from the conventional market rate sector. If anything, that build to rent sector seems to be capturing demand that historically would have been bound for the single family for purchase sector. You know, these would be your late 30 something millennials who are just starting their family uh, that maybe are being priced out of the housing market to some degree with mortgage rates as high as they are, but they're still opting for that single family lifestyle choice. So again, when you look at the conventional market rate sector, whenever you have a 30, a late 30 something leaving for the build to rent sector, generally speaking, there's a mid 20 something who is moving back in their place. So uh, the build to rent sector maybe has an impact in some areas, you know, at the end of the day, you are adding to the overall rental housing stock, but it's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison in terms of the target demographic who is renting at those assets versus the conventional market rate. Yeah, that makes sense. And and Carl, we sell apartments here at our shop in the southeast, and we're seeing you know a slowdown in transaction volume compared to you know a couple of years ago. But we are seeing transactions happen, and um, but we're seeing higher cap rates, right? Obviously, than we did a couple of years ago. Uh, what do you what are you seeing from your desk? Yeah, we're seeing the same thing. In fact, I was joking with somebody a couple of weeks ago that. Uh, throughout the 20, throughout the 2010s, you know, you constantly heard that cap rates are compressing. And over the past six or so months, we've seen cap rates decompress, uncompress. I don't even know what the word is because we haven't had to reference that in over a decade now. So we are actually seeing, to your point, Michael, that cap rates are moving up across the country uh, nationally, call it in the 4.7, 4.8% range. So uh, they are moving up from that low of about 4.2, 4.3% that we saw roughly the same time last year. Yeah. And obviously that sounds like a class A story there on those cap rates. Uh, what do you see for other classes? Yeah, I would say that that's generally the same thing. We are seeing that the, uh, the the compression that we saw in the 2010s was ubiquitous across classes. Now that they're, again, uncompressing, decompressing, I still don't quite know what the vernacular is there, uh, but we are seeing that it's, uh, it's largely a class A story in that regard. Carl, what about the distress story? I know there's some of these uh, investors who have bought apartments and you know had a value add plan, uh, maybe had some more temporary uh, financing, or this to have loans coming due and rates are potentially twice as much as they were paying. Are you seeing any distress yet or what do you I do think that's a good point. And I do think that you could see some distress continue to further emerge in that regard. Uh, we're already starting to see that happening. More of an isolated thing, but it is actually out. It, it is indeed happening out in the market. Um, I would say the biggest thing that we see is that when you look at the market rate sector on aggregate, 
80%, and I don't have the exact numbers here, but just you know, using the Pareto principle, for example, 80% of the market is probably still going to be in pretty sound shape. It's maybe that 20% of the market that got a little bit out over its skis in terms of underwriting, or perhaps, uh, you know, as you point out, maybe had adjustable rate mortgages that have really, um, or those adjustable rates that have really started to uh, to, to come back to haunt them. So I would say that the distress story, sure, it's out there, but it seems to be more isolated than it is a prevalent market trend. Carl, what about demand versus supply in the apartment industry? Is it still a story that we don't have enough apartments? Yeah, I think that that's generally the story because we're talking about long periods of time here. I've always really liked the quote that supply is cyclical, demand is structural. And what I mean by that is that structurally, in terms of demographics and job growth, we think that demand is set up to be strong for the long haul, especially in these southeast markets that uh uh, you, you know, that we often talk about simply because that's where the population's moving. That's where corporate headquarters are moving. Um, now, when you look at the supply front, what I mean by cyclical is that, you know, you have these big run-ups in supply and then things start to peter off. And it, that's exactly what we're seeing is that we're at a 40 to 50 year high in terms of construction today. That's going to be a lot of supply delivering in the short term. And that's going to cause supply demand fundamentals to shift towards the supply front. In other words, you're going to see occupancy slow down. You're going to see rent growth slow down. And that's exactly the story that we're seeing today. However, that 30 to 40 year longstanding undersupply of housing, that's going to take more than a two-year period to correct. So when you look at the 2020 plus outlook, I think you're still going to see rent growth and occupancy in healthy shape, even if this two-year period from 23 to maybe the end of 24 is a bit of an adjustment and a bit of heartburn happening in some pockets of the country. Yeah, yeah, well, that makes sense. Uh, if we don't have enough housing, it's uh, still, still a great sector uh, to be in uh, long term, regardless of your situation, uh, maybe some heartburn here and there. Well, Carl, what would you leave our audience with to think about for the future of multifamily? Yeah, I think that that supply demand story is really what it comes down to. And in fact, you, you may have seen that RealPage was quoted in CNBC late last week uh, as saying this is maybe the first time on record where demand has been actually pretty robust but rent growth is slowing and indeed at risk of dipping negative. Uh, but uh, again, it's not a demand driven story for the rent growth slowdown. It's a supply driven story. So once we get past 2025, uh, certainly into 2026, that's where we think the market really starts to get back to its long term average of three to four percent rent growth, 95 percent occupancy. And uh, a lot of that just has to do with the timing of construction. And the, the one last thing that I'll leave our audience with there uh, in regards to construction is looking at starts data. And in fact, real page data shows that starts from second quarter 23 to first quarter 23 are down 40%. You had 50,000 fewer apartments started in the second quarter than the first quarter of 2023. So that tells you simply that uh, the supply pipeline is indeed going to slow down. It's just going to take it probably two years before that uh, uh, before that supply slowdown or that construction slowdown, I should say, is actualized in terms of what's. Yeah, and that uh, long term is probably great for performance of existing properties, right? And this rent growth slowdown, if you think about how much rents were going up. I mean, we had some rents going up, what, 10% a year in a lot of markets just for a, for a while. And it seems like this slowdown could be 
some might see it as a correction on rental rates. Yeah, I think there's an element of correction. And one other thing, too, now, now that I think about it, another thought that I'll leave our audience with as we sign off is that uh, rent growth slowing down. You're also seeing that inflation is slowing down, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the rent growth story to some degree. But most importantly, on the NOI side of the equation, even though the I part, the income part of NOI is slowing down, with inflation slowing, I think you'll soon start to see the O part of that equation slow down as well. So right now we're just at a point where expenses are still kind of stubbornly growing. Uh, performance is slowing. So the income part of the NOI equation is easing a bit. But once we get past 2024 in particular, I think the uh, the inflation trends that you're seeing today show that expenses aren't going to continue growing at their 2020 to 2023 pace. And I think you'll see NOI start to correct as well for a more positive trend as that income part or the performance part of the equation does so. Wow, that's great. I feel good. The future is bright. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks, <laughs> and thanks, for, be thanks for being on the show and uh, great information as usual. All right. Well, thank you for joining us around the country. Let us know what you think. Thanks for uh, sharing the show. Uh, please connect with us on your favorite uh, social media. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For commercial brokerage sales and leasing in the Southeast U.S., contact our show host by email at michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success Strategies, 21 incredible one-hour agent training videos. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. By C5 CCIM Summit, three days of commercial real estate networking, learning, and investing. Learn more and register at c5summit.realestate. And by Lumet. For senior housing, healthcare, and multifamily financing, visit lumet.com. For more podcasts and videos, subscribe and visit creshow.com.